Hi, welcome to episode three of Kept Secrets. I'm your host, Nikki Rothrock. This podcast is a way that I try and help anyone who has experienced childhood trauma. Today, we're going to discuss how at the age of 14, I tried to escape the daily torture of my abuser. Content of this podcast will discuss childhood sexual trauma and suicide attempts, so listener discretion is advised. Just want to say hi and let you know that I'm super excited that you're with me today. Um, I appreciate the support and the fact that you are taking time out of your life to listen to something about me. So getting right into the blog article, um, it is titled at the age of 14, Abby, who is really me, so we'll say Nikki, tried to escape the daily torture of her abuser. There's a little note before. It says, this is a section that was written about Nikki trying to commit suicide at the age of 14. Her pain was immense and the grief she suffered because of the loss of a friend was way too much for her. This section is written from Abby's perspective. At the time, actually Nikki's perspective. At this time in her life, she was being abused daily by Tom and just wanted to escape him and the prison he created for her. This time for her was very difficult and she tried to find comfort in reuniting with her friend Evan who passed away a couple of years before. And this is written in the perspective of Nikki at 14. I'm currently working after school at a little convenience store about a mile from my house. I go in after school and I make deli sandwiches for their lunch crowd the next day. It's not a bad job. I like the people I work with and once a week grandpa works there too. I make enough money to buy myself some school clothes and CDs when I want them. I still can't be happy at home. I've been hanging around with Stephanie a lot because her mom's boyfriend lives close to me. Excuse me. Sometimes she gets to come over and stay the night on the weekends. Tom doesn't like it when I have friends over though. He doesn't like that he can't come into my room at night when I have company. I like having friends over because he doesn't get to come into my room when they're there. I miss Evan and I can't help but feel like his death was my fault. I keep thinking about that day when I was in the shower praying to God that I wasn't pregnant by Tom. I told him, God, that he could take anyone away from me that I love if he just wouldn't let me be pregnant. About two weeks later, Evan died of an accidental shot in the head with his hunting rifle. He was only 19 years old. I was 12. Why did I have to tell God that I would rather lose somebody close to me in order to save Tom from me being pregnant? Now I have to live without Evan and I hate it. I'm brought back to the thoughts of death. All I want is for this pain to go away. The only way I can think this can happen is for me to die. This is a trigger warning. I will have to figure something out, something that doesn't hurt and something that isn't messy. What can I do? Ah, I can take sleeping pills. So the next day at work, I found some over-the-counter sleeping pills and took a box because I didn't want anyone to know what I was up to. When I get home tonight at seven, that's when I'm going to do it. I became happy, became happier just thinking about leaving all of this pain behind. Tom came to pick me up from work in his old beater Dodge pickup truck. He was in a bad mood. On the way home, all I could think was, 
thank God tonight it will all be over for me. I don't have to deal with his different moods and the secret I've been keeping for so long. I don't have to worry about him touching me and I can see Evan again. That thought alone made me very happy. I couldn't wait to get home and end all of this pain. It's about 7.15 and I'm ready. I'm in my room with the door shut. I've got a can of generic Mountain Dew and a box of pills in my hand. I'm sitting on the edge of my twin-size bed, actually thinking about not doing it. I just don't want to hurt my dad. I know he loves me. He just doesn't like to make conflict with his wife, Debbie, but it's okay. I know he loves me, and I told him the last time we were together that I loved him. So I know he love that he knows that I love him. I'm ready. I open the yellow box of blue sleeping pills, and I crap o- crack open the can that holds the liquid liquid that will end it all. One by one, I pop the pills out of the container and lay them on the bed next to me. One, two, three, four, five six, seven pills down my throat. I have 13 more to go. Now, I'm wishing I would have grabbed one more box to make sure that it would la- that this would allow me to die. After I took the 20th pill, I finished my soda and laid down under the covers of my bed and I slowly drifted off to sleep and thought to myself, goodbye, and God, please let this work. The next thing I know, I'm awake. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed and I hear people talking downstairs. I get up, when I, but when I do, my feet feel different. I walk through my bedroom doorway to the stairway. I grab a hold of the railing, and as I'm walking down the stairs, I can't feel anything. I can't feel my feet touching the ground. I feel like I'm floating. All I can hear are people's voices, but it's like they're muffled, like I'm underwater. I feel very, very strange. I get to the bottom of the stairs, and I decide to go into Mom and Tom's room to the left. I take the two steps down into their bedroom, only it's different this time. There's no furniture in the room, only a big box sitting on the floor. I bend down and I open the box. I see a coat in it. I pull the coat out and I hold it up in front of me so I can see what it is. It's a Chicago Bulls coat like Evan wore the weeks before he died. This one isn't his though. It has my name stitched onto it. So I put it on and I walk to the other door in their room that leads to the living room. I look down at the ground and I notice my toes are right up against the threshold of the room. For some reason, I can't cross it. I look into the living room and I see Tom sitting on the couch watching TV. I look toward the front door and I see a light that is so bright it is lavender in color. I'm staring at it and I see a shadow. I squint my eyes because the light is so bright. I know this shadow, but it's hard to see it. As I'm trying to focus my eyes, the shadow walks a couple of steps toward me and out of the light. My eyes widen, and I know who it is. It's Evan. He looks at me, but I can't see his face. He says, come on, Nikki, we got to go. Let's go. Hurry up. I look at Tom sitting on the couch, and I said, Tom, do you see that? He keeps watching TV and tells me to be quiet. I look back at Evan and say, where are we going? He pressures me and he keeps saying, come on, let's get out of here. Come on, let's go. I look down on my toes again and I see that they're still behind the threshold. I can't seem to move myself. Evan keeps telling me to come with him, but I can't. I open my eyes and the first thought is, damn it, I'm still alive. 
I can hear my mom downstairs cooking dinner. I look at the clock and it's 8.30. Man, I've only been asleep for like an hour. I get out of bed and I walk to the bottom of the stairs and stop. Mom looks at me and asks what I want to drink with dinner. I look at her confused and I'm like, why aren't you at the bowling alley? It's Monday night. She looks back at me with a funny look on her face and says, uh, it's Tuesday night. And you know, I don't bowl on Tuesday nights. It was just then that I realized that I had slept for more than 24 hours and no one noticed. I went into the dining room and ate dinner with my family and kept trying to figure out why the pills wouldn't let me die. I think about Evan. I know that I saw him. What was going on in my mind? Why was it so vivid? Was it a dream or did I almost die because I didn't go with him and I'm still alive? I don't know. If that's the case, I'll have to see where he is and if he'll come back for me soon so I can go wherever it is that he is. I hate living here. I hate Tom and I hate the way he makes me feel. I just want a normal teenage life and I can't because of him. So at the end of that blog entry, I also had a little note and it says, I feel like I should explain that Evan was a 19 year old guy friend I met while hanging out at the bowling alley. As an adult and in treatment, I came to realize that Evan was a predator too. He took advantage of me just like Tom did. Maybe not to the extreme, but he did take advantage of me. So in reality, he was just another creepy guy who preyed on young girls. I wasn't the only one. I was 12 years old when I met him and I only knew him for a few months. Tom didn't like Evan at all. I think it was because he felt that Evan would do the same thing to me. I'm not sure. This dream I described in this section was very life-changing for me at the time. I still remember each vivid detail. Sadly, sadly, it was just a dream and I made it a lot bigger than it was. Archie, shh. To me, as a 14-year-old girl, I just wanted to end the pain I was living every day. The pain that was full of physical torture, lies, and confusion. So that is the end of the blog entry. I'm going to let my dogs out because apparently they don't know that I'm busy doing something. <laughs> so... Sorry. <laughs> You're like, where'd you go? So anyway, back to my story. Evan was, he was 19 years old, like I said, and I was 12 when I met him. I was 12 when he passed away. It was nothing but inappropriate, the relationship that we had, but excuse me, I didn't realize that it was inappropriate um, because I had much bigger and worse things going on than just hanging out with an older boy. Um, that being said, at that time, my 14-year-old brain was just overwhelmed. Um, we had just moved out into the country Um from living in town where one of my friends just lived a couple blocks away. We could ride bikes to each other's houses. We could, you know, ride to school together, things like that. 
But when I moved out into the country, I had to get up super duper early to go to school. I wasn't popular at all. Not that I was popular where I went before, but I had friends there. Um, and living in the country, I felt very secluded and isolated. Um, there was a time when I was in treatment when Beth actually went to that house with me. And I remember she was standing in my bedroom and she was looking out at the street and she just looked at me and she's like, you had nowhere to go. No wonder you felt trapped here. And that has always stuck with me because she could not have been further from the truth. Wait, that's not true. She could not have been more true (laughs) or more right when she said that. So, um, a little bit of info about what was going on at that time. So it was two years after Evan died. We had just moved back out into the country. Um, Mom and Tom still bold multiple nights a week. So my brother and I were home a lot in the evenings. Um, so I, I didn't really have anybody. When I did have friends over, of course, Tom would be angry about that because he didn't, he wasn't able to do what he usually did when I had friends over, as I noted in the the blog entry. So, um, the, the things that were going on in my life then, you know, I, I wasn't, I was an okay student at school. Um, I did struggle a lot with my academic stuff and my mom and I were not really close because of the secret she didn't know that I was holding on to. Um, I just wanted to go away and I felt like I had nowhere to go, but I felt like I needed to go wherever it was Evan was. And I'm thankful that that attempt did not work. Mainly because I would not be here. Come on. Sorry, my dog wants in. So I would not be here. And I would not be where I am in life. And that is something I worked very hard for. And um, there's just just a lot of stuff that has rolled up in my life that I try to unravel it and I get overwhelmed because there's just so much. (laughs) Um... The pain of the physical torture was more about, it wasn't really about the sexual abuse. It was more about being controlled. And I was controlled heavily by Tom. My dogs are getting ready to go crazy. I was controlled so much by him that 
I didn't, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get a phone call from a friend without him getting angry. Um, I couldn't talk about having a boyfriend because he would get angry. There were a few times that I tried to have a boyfriend in school and they would call me and, excuse me, Tom would be listening in on the phone conversation. I mean, that's just creepy. So I would have to be guarded at everything that I said. And honestly, the stuff that we talked about wasn't even important. I don't know why he felt like he needed to listen. But he said a lot of things that also played me against my mom because it was easier for him if my mother and I did not get along. I mean, for obvious reasons. Um, I think back at that now. And I don't know if my mom... Belle. This dog. <laughs> I don't know if my mom would um, would know how to handle things without the abuse. In, in all of our lives. Because like I said in my last podcast, he abused her. Maybe not physically. Maybe not sexually. But he made her feel like a piece of garbage. And I know that. And I hate him even more for that. Because she deserved so much more in her life than what she had. She deserved to find a man who loved her. She deserved to have a relationship with her children that wasn't dysfunctional. She deserved to um, just be happy in her life, and she wasn't. And it's hard looking back at this stuff now, and I wonder about the things that she was going through at the time that I was going through what I was. And, you know, they're an example of the jealousy. So, um, it was about, I was about 14 and a half. It was a few months before Tom left and I was, okay. So I, my bedroom was upstairs. The only thing that separated my room from mom and Tom's room was the stairway and a door. Well, my door and then their door. But they were literally in the bedroom below mine. And all I had to do was walk down the stairs. So if I was going to the bathroom, I would know if they were in the room or not. And something as a child that was a trigger for me was a pop lock. So the house that we lived in when we were in town had this lock that you just click it. And it would, it would lock. And you could take a screwdriver on the other side and pop the lock so that, you know, you could undo the lock. So it really was pointless. But when I heard that, I knew that Tom was going to be intimate with my mom. I knew it. And I would get so angry and jealous I would get angry because he was telling me, well, we only have to do this because I'm married to her. Or I only have to do this so that I can stay here or whatever. 
Well, this one particular night, I happened to be downstairs and I, or upstairs, and I heard, I could hear that lock pop over the TV. I could hear it. If every door in the house was closed and I was, I could hear it. I don't know why, but I could. And when I did, it was like, I just instantly got angry. I got anxious. I got sad. I was hurt. All of these different emotions. And mostly I was just mad because I was like, why is he doing things with her? This is my mother. This is so twisted. So I was like, why is he doing things with her when he tells me he doesn't even want to? And why does he have to do it when I'm at home? Because like, I just would get angry about it. So this particular night I was upstairs and I stormed down the stairs and I was a big girl. So it was very loud and obvious that I was coming down the stairs. And I was like, dun, 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 dun. and I go to the bottom of the stairs and I go into the kitchen and I slam open or I pull open the door on the refrigerator. I'm pissed and I get some ice and I'm throwing it as loud as I possibly can in my glass. <laughs> and I go into the living room and I, I got a drink or whatever. And I went into the living room and I slammed the glass down on the TV because it was back in the day when you had the floor console TVs. So um, there was a top and I just slammed my glass down and it made a really loud noise. And I was like, it would be really nice if you guys would keep it down. Like there was, there was really nothing going on. Like in my mind, it was a lot worse. So then I hear the belt buckle and I knew I was in trouble. So at that time he was putting on his pants and I'm standing outside their door and he comes running through the door and I kicked at eyes. I was like, "Uh Oh, and so I took off running and through the dining room and into the kitchen and I, he grabbed me by my hair and he stopped me and he's like you better shut the hell up or something like that and I was like you can't tell me what to do you're not my dad well then he slapped me and my glasses flew off my face into the kitchen sink and I started screaming for my mom I was like why did you hit me like I was being very dramatic and all I wanted to do was just stop what they were doing I just wanted to cause problems so that it would stop what they were doing so It succeeded, and Tom was pissed off at me because of it. And he was like, you know, I have to do this. And and I don't know where my mother was. I don't know if she was just sitting in the bedroom, like, just listening or what the hell was going on. But she didn't come out. And I got my glasses out of the kitchen sink, and I was bleeding. And I went upstairs, and I shut the door. And then Tom comes stomping up the stairs right behind me. And he comes in my room, and he's like, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. He's like, you know, I have to do this. You're going to, you're going to make it to where she knows what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't care. I was like, let's just go down there and tell her. And he's like, fine, let's go tell her. And I was like, no, I don't want to tell her. I was like, she'll get really mad. And and about that time, my mom (laughs) comes stomping up the stairs and she's pissed. She comes stomping up the stairs and she's like, those are my stomping steps. And she comes in my room and she's like, you get out of here and she's talking to Tom and he's like okay so she was really pissed and he goes out of the room and she's she looks at me and I my nose is bleeding from where he hit me and my glasses hit my nose and I was like mommy hit me and she's like I don't know who the 
hell you think you are? And she's like, if I want to F my husband, I will. And there ain't nothing that you can do about it. Do you understand me? And I was like, no, like I'm bleeding here. And you're yelling at me because I interrupted your freaky time with your husband. This is bullshit. Like I was mad and I was more hurt because my mom was mad and she was taking Tom's side. And I was like, this asshole just hit me. I'm bleeding and you're pissed off because I interrupted your time with him. Like that was just, that just really upset me. So she was like, what is the problem? What? I don't know why you think you need to know everything that's going on between me and my husband. Blah, 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 blah. She was just going on. And I'm looking back at this now and I'm like, damn, that was so inappropriate. If my 14 year old daughter had come in and interrupted my time, my intimate times with my husband, hello, there would be a huge red flag, bells and whistles going off. I'd be like, hmm, something is weird here, right? No, my mom blamed me because I made him mad and I interrupted their time. So the jealousy is 100% caused by things that Tom was saying to me about my mom, excuse me. And, you know, he would say things to me like, when you're 16 or whatever, we're going to run away together and, you know, you'll be able to leave. I don't even remember everything he said, but he was always giving me these little nuggets of like hope and, and keeping me, um, keeping me looking forward to time with him, which is, so really wrong. (laughs) So when I'm telling you guys this, I don't want you to think that I am not aware of how twisted and how wrong this relationship was, but it is, it is, that is how it was. I mean, that was my life. You know, there was a time that I had one of um, Tom's friends married somebody and they had some, it was one of his guy friends had married this woman and, um, the husband and wife got into an argument. Well, the wife came and stayed at our house for the night. Well, she stayed in my room because there was really nowhere else in the house for her to stay. So she and I were in my bedroom watching TV and this was an adult woman. She was probably, I don't know, 25 maybe. Um, and I was 14 or so. And we're watching TV. We're having fun. It's kind of like a girl's time, which is weird, but, um, I needed, like, I craved that attention from adult women. Like I always wanted to be somebody's like little girl or whatever. And whenever an older friend of, you know, would show interest in like wanting to hang out with me, I was like all about it. So we were watching this show The door was shut and I heard that lock, that pop, and I instantly felt sick. And to this day, I will not have those locks on doors in my house. If I do, I'll take the damn door down. I don't care. I can't. I cannot have that in my house. Um, 
That is a sound <laughs> that will stick with me for the rest of my life and it, it will stop me in my tracks and I'll be like, hold up. You know, I hear this pop and then I'm like, I want to kill somebody. Like that is how I feel. I instantly feel anger, annoyance, frustration, like just hurt, pain, all of it, all of it in that second. And so that is one of the things that was a trigger for me was that damn lock. And we had it on the house in town on their bedroom door. And I had it on the house in the country on their bedroom door. And of course it is just, it's stupid. I mean, it's not stupid because it is what it is, but thinking about it now, I'm just like, oh, freaking locks. They should not be allowed to put them on houses. So that's the jealousy is something that bothered me so much as an adult. And I had to make peace with that with my mom. Um, And because it wasn't looking at the big picture of everything. It wasn't her fault that I was jealous that she was intimate with her husband. It was 100% his fault, one, because he was being intimate with her daughter. And two, he was lying about things all the time while committing a crime with her daughter. And, you know, but some people might be like, well, if I, if my husband was having um, relations with my teenage daughter, I would know. And I'm not for one second defending my mom. But I really, I don't know that she knew. I think he was such a master manipulator that he could tell her the sky is purple and it's clearly blue or yellow and she would have believed him just like I would have. Um, one of the, the things that Beth and I worked on was placing the blame where the blame should be. And she told me one time that my mom mentally could not handle knowing the truth, all of the details and the truth about what happened to me. She said it would have killed her. She just did not have the, the ability to process it all. And I do, I do think that that's pretty accurate because anytime that I tried to have a conversation with her later about things with him. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to sit there and be like, hey, do you want to compare stories? Because that's just ew. And, you know, they were very different because she was married to him and I was a child and I was being severely abused. So, excuse me. It's not like it's something that I'm going to, we were going to sit and have conversations about the physical stuff. Excuse me. What we did have conversations about was how he was a liar. You know, he, um, when she found out that he 
left her for another woman whom he had been seeing for quite a while. She was broken by that. And then months, not very many months later, she finds out what he was doing to her daughter. And to be honest with you, I don't know how she survived mentally. She had to have blocked a lot of it out and not thought about it because I don't know that she could have fully thought about it and got through it. And I'm not trying to sell her short because I know she was a very smart intellectual woman. Um, she could play like seven different instruments and I can't even freaking play the radio right half the time. So I'm, I did not get any of my, any of her musical talent at all. Um, I struggled in school where she could read a book quickly and, and remember 90% of it. Um, she just let these men in her life destroy her self-confidence and it was just too much for her. So after Tom left, uh, it was only a couple of years later that mom got really sick. Her diabetes flared up. She lost a ton of weight. Um, but then somehow she got it under control and she started doing better. And then a few years later, it went downhill again. And that's when she lost the use of her kidneys and she was having problems with her heart, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know how much of the stress from her life with Tom caused her health issues. I'm not going to blame him for that. Um, but I wonder sometimes how much of it literally just destroyed her from the inside out. Um, so I've shared some things that I'm a little uneasy about. So, um, especially the jealousy stuff, because it's very hard for people to understand that deep of a, uh, feeling I get, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I loved my mom. I love her now. I will love her till the day I die. And probably then after. I don't know. Uh, I had to meet her where she was in life in the end. So, And we talked about that in the first episode. So, um, that being said, I... There's so many things. The suicide um, attempt was... My mother did not know about that until many, many years later. She had no idea. She didn't know that that day I didn't get up and go to school. She didn't know that... um, She just didn't know. Because she, she didn't get us up for school every day. Come on. Get up here, Archie dog. Come on. She didn't, um, I mean, there were days when I literally would just stay in bed because I didn't want to get up and catch the bus. 
and she would have no idea. The only way she would know is if I came downstairs um, when she was home because I wanted food or something. I did get in trouble for truancy a few times. Um, If I missed the bus, she wouldn't take me to school because school was so far away. And so then I would just have to miss, (laughs) which was okay by me because I didn't want to go anyway. Um, going back to the, the dark feelings of the suicide attempt. Um, I honestly don't know if I said this earlier, but when I was in the muck of it all, and the only comfort I had was feeling like the only place that I could find comfort was in a, a box six feet underground. Um, I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't, didn't want, but a lot of my friends had no idea that this was the stuff that was going on in my head. Like, you know, I would still try to cut jokes and, you know, I was concerned about everyone else's life and I didn't want to talk about mine. So nobody knew what was going on at home. I never told anybody with an exception of um, (laughs) one time in uh, fifth grade. So this would have been about a year after the abuse started, about a year and a half. I was upset with Tom and I don't remember why. I was like 10. And I had this notebook and I wrote a story, air bunnies, um, you know, quotes, whatever. It was a story about a little girl who was being um, abused by her stepdad. And I, I remember writing it because I was so mad at him and I don't remember why. But I wrote it, I was sitting at the bowling alley and I was just writing and writing and writing and I accidentally left it out at home and one of his cousins who was staying with us at the time found it. And he showed it to my mom. And my mom about lost her damn mind at me. She was, I I think she asked me if any of the story was true and I denied it because Tom's cousin had told him that he found this notebook and then Tom was like if you say anything I'm gonna get kicked out and we won't be able to see each other and blah 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 and I was like oh well we can't have that you know I was mad at you two or three days ago now I'm you love me and everything is perfect in the world and so I denied it and my mom was like one thing she always said to me after that was do not put things in writing that you don't want other people to read Period. And so I didn't after that. Until I was in my 30s. And I started writing these blogs. And I started doing journaling for therapy. And um, and then I always felt like I was doing something wrong. So, you know, the abuse could have stopped about, I don't know, five years before it ended. Had I been honest with my mom. Um, there was another time, 
not long after that that my um, neighbor, she was she lived about a block and a half away. Uh, she came over and was letting my mother know that um, her boyfriend or husband, I don't remember what they were at the time, but Tom had made passes at her teenage daughter. And my mom about lost her damn mind again because she was like, get out of my property. Like, get away from my property. Don't come back. And she didn't even for a second think that maybe Tom is a piece of shit. And maybe he's hitting on the teenage girls in your neighborhood. She didn't even think that. Now, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, your fella is hitting on young girls, I would lose my mind at him. I wouldn't lose my mind at the little girl or the child or the teenager or whatever. I would lose my shit at him because he is the adult. And one of the things that, uh, well, during that time when that happened, this mother in the neighborhood actually called DCS or somebody did. I, there were a couple of people who claimed to be my mom's friend. But then they were concerned about my brother and I, so they called DCS. And there was one time when DCS actually came and I had to go to their office and have a meeting with the social worker or the caseworker or whatever. And she, you know, I was coached on my way um, to this meeting, Not, not physically on the way, but before this meeting, I was coached by Tom. And he was like, you do realize if you say that I'm doing these things to you, that they will make me go away. And he just kept saying that they'll make me go away and I won't be able to um, see you. And your mom will have to do all of this work on her own and just really laying the shit on thick, really laying it on thick. And I felt bad and I was like, okay, well, I'll lie this one time. (laughs) So I remember the conversation with the social worker and she was asking me, you know, has he ever done this or done that? And I'm like, no, he is a wonderful stepdad or, you know, mom's boyfriend or whatever. He would never hurt us. He, you know, is, he is wonderful to us. And he, (laughs) it was such bullshit. All of it. I lied. I, you know, I lied. And because of that, the abuse went on for more, you know, like three or four or five years. I don't remember um, exactly when that was. I do know that we lived in town, so it must have been at least before 1992. Um, my, I'm pretty sure it was in fifth, fifth grade that all of that happened. So anyway, I lied. The, the abuse happened longer and Tom's ass was saved once again. And my mom had no idea because she just, she didn't ask. Um, so anyway, I mean, she may have asked, but she didn't ask me in a way that made me feel comfortable sharing the, the news with her. So that was one thing when I was in graduate school and I was doing all these research papers and everything. Um, one of the things that was very common across the board was when you're asking a child if they've been abused or if something has happened, you have to make them feel comfortable. If they don't feel comfortable, they're going to lie to you. 100% they're going to lie because they think they're going to get in trouble. 
for something that someone did to them. And one thing that if anybody ever hears this, and I pray to God that you never have to go through this, but if there's ever a child that you suspect is being abused or treated inappropriately, just give them that safe place to go. I never had that. I always thought that Tom was my safe place, which was way further. It could not have been further from the truth. He was, he was the, the devil in our home and he, he just took complete advantage of my, of me and my mom. I'm not saying she didn't know that he was doing that, but to her anyway. So just give them a safe place to talk. You know, don't come at them. Did this happen? Did this happen? No, of course they're not going to admit it because they're already going to be on defense because you're yelling at them. Um, just be gentle with them and, and let them know it's not their fault. It is the adult's fault. One thing that Beth said to me in one of our first sessions, because I kept feeling guilty because I was conditioned to, um, to go to Tom and basically pursue him intimately. That was what he taught me to do. And that's what I thought I had to do. So when I was going through treatment, I had a lot of trouble understanding that what I did was what I was trained to do. And it wasn't um, my fault that he took the ball and ran with it, I guess. She told me quite a few times in our first years of treatment that I could be 17 years old and he could be 20 and I could come to him and I could be completely nude and I could be like, come on, baby, let's, let's do this or whatever. And it is his duty as an adult to walk away period. He should not try to engage. He should not try to, there should be, as the adult, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. And he was the adult. He was the one of legal age. I was not. He was the one who chose to make me feel like I had the, um, Ability to make him do things that he shouldn't do. Does that make sense? Um, so it took me a long time in treatment to understand that it wasn't my fault. I was a freaking nine-year-old kid when all of this started, and he was grooming me this whole time, you know, from the age of nine until I was 15 when he left. I was almost like a slave to him. He would give me a look. I would know what was expected of me, Period. If we were right, like we had a pickup truck, um, he would touch my leg. I would know what I, what was expected of me. So I'm just, just saying I would know. And it was not my fault. I was conditioned. Now as an adult trying to work through all of that was a little tricky because, you know, a lot of the self blame, um, feeling sorry for him because he claims that he was abused as a child. Well, that may be true, and I am so sorry that that happened to him, but he could have gotten help for that instead of repeating the cycle. 
and he didn't. And I know in my heart that I am not the only person that he did that to. Period. I know in my gut, I know I'm not the only one. So that being said, all of that manipulation and everything kind of came to a head the night that I was 14 and I tried to die. Um, and I was unsuccessful. Thank God for that. Um, I'm going to wrap things up because I only have a couple more minutes that I'm allowed to talk on this podcast. So without it cutting me off. And this is the second time I've done this podcast tonight. Thanks to my dogs. Um, So I hope that I didn't ramble and I hope that you understand um, a little bit more of the dysfunction that comes along with mental manipulation and childhood sexual abuse and how you have to literally work through the muck. Um, But next week, uh, I'm still not sure what we're going to come at you with, but I hope that it'll be good. I'm going to be looking for old journals so that we can go through those as well. I'm still not able to find them. It's driving me nuts. Um, so until next time, make good decisions and, um, God bless you.